Hello there. Welcome to our show. My name is Doshima Dapoyewale and I'm the founder of the Early Birth Foundation. It's my pleasure to present the six-part series podcast, My Neonatal Story. This show is our contribution to celebrations for World Prematurity Day 2021. Please share with your friends and family, leave us a comment and follow us on Instagram at EBFNIG. Up next, I'll introduce today's guest. Thank you so much for listening. So welcome, (laughs) welcome, Wendy. I'm really, really glad that you accepted to do this and I'm looking forward to hearing your story. I guess we can start by just telling us a little bit about your family, how old your child is now and where they were born. Okay. Hi, Doshima. Thank you so much for having me. I think it's a really important topic and it's one that's definitely very close to my heart. So I'm always very happy and very to to talk about this. Um, so my name is Wendelin um, and well, everyone calls me Wendy. I got married in 2017 in February and we found out we were pregnant in March of 2017. Um, so my son now is turning, he's going to be four in, in October. So we got married and then we found out, we thought we we're having a December baby and that's what we we're planning for. He's supposed to come at the very end of December. Um, and then he came in at the start of October. And yeah, so it's three of us, there's three of us so far. And yeah, he was born here. He was born, born here in Nigeria. Um, yeah, and I think we had different plans, but then because he came as such a surprise, I think a lot of our plans had to change. I know. I, I know what you mean about having plans. Um, my baby was meant to be an August baby, an end of August baby, and he came at the end of May. And, you know, I had all these plans and all these lists like, oh, I'm going to have, you know, the perfectly curated Spotify playlist with <laughs> Nathaniel Bassi ushering me into <laughs> labor and delivery. You know, we're going to have the baby here. And it was like, the guy was like, okay, people, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> so what was your pregnancy like like did you have any indication that you know your son was going to be born early my pregnancy was actually very easy I didn't have morning sickness I never threw up the only time I felt the only sort of big symptom I had was I was tired a lot Mm -hmm. I was very tired and sleepy um but I knew nothing really but then I noticed that Maybe about the time I turned, I was almost seven months. Mm-hmm. I'd gone out walking one afternoon. And when mm-hmm. I came back, my hands were a bit swollen. Okay. Um, so I went to the doctor and then they had me do a, a urine test. Um, and they found plus one. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't the same day. I think the, maybe the week before I'd done a, the normal antenatal. And the urine test had come back with a plus one protein. So it was not too high, but there was just something that they said, oh, you should watch, keep an eye on, and let's test it again when you come next to Frontinito. And then I saw this um, swell, swelling in my hand, and then I, I went to the doctor, and you know, I told him, well, I had had this before, and then now I have this swelling. And I remember my husband saying, like, because my husband was, was more pregnant than I was, truly. <laughs> like, he had read up on everything, and so he was already piecing everything together. And he was like, oh, but what if it's like this? Look, I'm seeing this thing called preeclampsia. You have, like, two of the symptoms. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, first of all, that's a very big name. Like, to me, because everything had been so easy, I'm like, 
how would we jump from a totally normal pregnancy to some to having something we didn't even just have like you now like a super morning sickness we go all the way like to the end of the spectrum like what spectrums i don't know anybody no of course it's not anything like that and when we went to the doctor he was like oh no let's let's just watch it like mm-hmm. you just saw your hands so right now they've actually even gone back to normal size mm-hmm. um and then a plus one protein is not really bad um mm-hmm. and that happened like a week ago we tested the protein on that day it was fine so for him he didn't like sort of piece the, the pieces together um mm-hmm. but i feel like maybe obviously i'm not a doctor but then with what i know now i feel like i, I would have been a lot more concerned a lot more deliberate about things um yeah. but then i just i just didn't think it was it was anything and when the doctor said it was fine i just went back home so for the book that's probably like the most the most active thing that happened in my pregnancy i didn't really have anything yeah any sort of thing that but i didn't have any spotting or having to go to the hospital or anything no i didn't have anything like that so um so that's why when things kind of took a turn for the worse I was very shocked, you know. I, I feel like maybe if if you had had like you know one difficulty, you had another one, you just kind of say, okay, I have to be really careful with this pregnancy. For me, it was so easy that <laughs> I didn't even think anything, to be honest. Yeah, I know what you mean about just thinking. No, I can't go from zero to hundred that quick. It's just not. Mm-hmm. It's just not possible. I liked what you said about you know, now looking back, you might have been more deliberate about some things. I feel like this tends to happen a lot to first-time moms. You just think that mm, you know, like, oh, nothing is really that serious. So you know, you you just don't know because you know you don't have the experience. Mm-hmm. So what would you say? to a first-time mom to be more deliberate about, you know, watching her signs and symptoms in her first pregnancy? I would say get another opinion. Get two, three Ah. opinions. Um, Something my mom had always told me, and I really regret not doing it. She kept telling me that, you know, when she was pregnant, like she never registered in just one hospital for antenatal. Like she'd register in like three hospitals. Yeah, she'd register in like the government hospital because they're, you know, they're, sorry that they're more thorough but they've seen so many cases that they would you know they know everything basically she'd register in like a a, a hospital close to her so if anything happened she could go there but she'd also register like possibly like a pricier more specialist hospital Um, and she'd go for all the antenatals on different days because it's like an hour or two hours or something um and she'd go and she'd listen and she'd pick up from things and try to see all the doctors in all of these different places right um and I wish I'd done that because if one person had said to me that, you know, oh, this plus one protein and this is, is nothing, maybe someone else might have picked up something else that could have been missing. Yeah. So for me, yeah, having having multiple opinions to me would have been helpful. And especially if it's your first time, because so, you don't even know what you should be, be concerned thinking. about. Right? Yeah, yeah. That, that is so such I, a I think valuable I would tip. That. Thank you. That is such um, a fantastic. I really, really wish I, I, I'd done that. <laughs> when you had your delivery, was any specific reason given to you as to, you know, why, you know, your labor started so early? So, so actually, with preeclampsia, um, okay. in very, very simple terms, like what, what tends to happen is that the placenta, basically the body can't can manage the placenta. So the placenta is causing the, the rest of the body to malfunction. Um, and the, the placenta, placenta itself is not letting the baby to take the nutrients it's supposed to. So the baby is not being helped. The mother is not being helped at all. But preeclampsia, I think, is a very mean disease because there's no, 
there's no remedy. So it's, it starts to cause the, fun, the organs to malfunction. So first of all, you start to see the kidney, the kidney starts to malfunction because that's what you, you then begin to see the kidney sort of removing more protein that it should be stored than it should be removing. Instead of just storing the protein in your body, it's letting the protein come out in your urine. So that's why that's a very early sign because the kidney is not doing what it's supposed to do. And then the blood, the heart begins to pump, you know, at a rate it shouldn't, your blood pressure is much higher. And that's the second sort of sign that they would um, point to. The other things are some people have very bad headaches because it gets progressed, it, it progresses. So the kidney begins to malfunction, the heart begins to malfunction. And then if they don't stop that, then the likelihood of you going into full eclampsia, not just preeclampsia where you yeah. get a stroke, that's yeah. then the sort of next stage and stuff. So it gets really bad and it gets really bad really quickly as well, right? So, um, and the only thing you can do is to take out the placenta. And of course, if you take out the placenta, you have to take out the baby. Mm -hmm. But then once you take out the placenta, then things begin to stabilize it a bit more in the person's system and stuff. Um, so for me, it wasn't even that I'd gone to labor. It's that they had seen that, well, you have preeclampsia and we have to take out the placenta. Um, so we have to take you. Yes, we have, you have to go to labor now. But then I didn't want to do that because... It's also a weird thing. You know how they say that blood pressure is a silent killer? Yeah. You actually feel perfectly fine. And I felt totally fine. Like I felt like if I felt like I, I felt sickly or the baby wasn't moving, then maybe I would then, you know, it would have been a lot easier for me to have been like, yeah, I can do this. Yes, of course, you should take out the baby. But then I felt very fine. The baby felt, I mean, he was still active and he was still moving. So I was just like, well, I'm not going to take out this baby. I'm sorry. Like you literally, I go for antenatal on one day and the next, I haven't even finished the antenatal. You're telling me, oh, we have to deliver your child tomorrow. I'm like, no, you don't have to deliver my child tomorrow. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even doing that with you guys. Like, so I just absolutely refuse to even hear that. So I was on admission in the ICU for a couple of days and oh, we went wow. back and forth with the doctors. Yeah, because they're like, you know, you have to be monitored constantly. They have to check your blood pressure constantly. And, you know, even you yourself can see it. Right? And it's such a, such a dicey situation to be in because it's be, your blood pressure is constantly rising, but you're in such a position of anxiety that, of course, your blood pressure has to constantly rise. Yeah. <laughs> but then the more it rises, the closer you are to your comes, yeah, the closer you, the more hurtful it is for your child. So it's just a really dire situation all the way around. Um, and so... I, I think we, we kind of pushed and pushed, you know, the doctor and I going back and forth, the gynecologist and I going back and forth, her insisting on taking out the baby immediately, me saying, well, I'm definitely not doing that with you guys, pediatrician also saying, yeah, your baby is actually too small to come out now, because at that time, he was only weighing about 800 grams in my wow. stomach, so that's super tiny, if kids are coming out, that's like 3.5 grams, um, but he wasn't even... And getting the nutrients he needed, which is why he was also small, he was small on the small side. Um, yeah, yes, he was on the small side, even for seven months. Like some people's kids are seven months, they're already like almost two kilograms or more. Yeah. Um, but then he wasn't getting what he needed. Um, but then I just also, I, so at this point, I'd become a lot more conscious about talking to other doctors because first, I really didn't trust my gynecologist. And yeah. not even because she didn't know her stuff, it's just, I just could, it was just so incredible what she was saying to me. Like, I just couldn't believe that what she was saying could be true yes. because I didn't feel like that. Anything and was like wrong. the urgency that she was pushing. Yes. It, it, to me, it was just like, I don't, I don't believe that you understand this medicine you're trying to share with me because 
I do not feel like this. Like, how can you be telling me that I'm about to die and I don't feel close to death? How can you be telling me that my child is not going to make it? And I can feel him kicking all the time. Like, so then I started really talking to other doctors and I have two really good friends, um, Dr. John and, and Dr. Tony. And both of them are talking to me a lot. And like, you know, I would take all my test results and scan them to them as well. Cause now I was in the ICU on bed rest. I couldn't even go anywhere. Um, and getting a lot of reports from them and they were kind of confirming what you were saying as well that you know you can push a little bit but you know as soon as anything changes like if you feel even the slightest thing you must tell someone you must because at this point it's really a crucial point like if you anything that is even a slight change that feels like a small headache or small indigestion it could really be something else happening in your system or one of your organs so don't because you want to hold on to get to at this point i was 29 weeks i just wanted to get to 32 weeks because um i'd read up and it seemed like um the, the baby was more viable at that time mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. so they're like yeah but don't hold on to something it's far more important for you to at least give yourself a chance to survive this and all of that stuff. Um, and so by the time, so I held on until I got to 30 weeks. Um, and well, yeah, it was just the, the week I was going into that 30 week. Yeah, 20, yeah, I was almost 30. Maybe I was like two days shy of that. <laughs> it was really random. The doctor had come and she's like, well, you look like you're stable. Your blood pressure is still very high, but I can't keep keeping you in the ICU. I'm just going to move you to the, to the normal, like, um, ward for pregnant women where mm-hmm. we can you know we can monitor mm-hmm. your we can monitor you a lot like it's not just it's a different type of monitoring they do like the um what's name? i think it's called the ecg scan they do it several okay. times in the day and stuff and they were doing it and then suddenly the baby's heart rate dropped and stayed down for much longer. you know if it drops it's already bad enough but then it then stayed down for a bit of time Wow. And man, I didn't even have an option. Like I was literally one moment I was fine. The next moment it was like, I couldn't even believe the nurses could move that fast. Like it was like, <laughs> it was a blur. Like people were raising my leg, taking off my underwear. They were taking off my clothes, putting me in like surgery clothes, t- like shaving all of my body. I'm like, what? You know, I, and the whole time I'm crying and I'm shouting, like, no, no, no. I already told you I'm not taking my baby out. I don't know. And you know, it was just the a whole traumatic thing, you know, and then you're crying and they're pushing you to the, um, to the theater for, for an emergency CS and they're trying to tell you, oh, no, it's fine. Don't worry. We're just preparing you just in case the doctor says that you need CS. I'm like, you, you are literally pushing me into the theater. <laughs> At what point are you going to tell me, the doctor is going to tell me I don't need to take this baby out. It's like, we're already halfway there for God's sake. Oh, um, but then it's, it's just wild. Yeah. It's funny that I'm laughing now because this is not funny at all, you know, but it's I know, so, I know. <laughs> it's actually just so nice to kind of like meet, hear someone else's laugh. traumatic story and be like, oh, there's, mm. there's more of me, you know, because especially yeah. when you're talking about, you know, like them winning you in like, man, at one point I just started mm. swearing at everybody. Like, what do you people mean? Where am I going? <laughs> this is how this thing is supposed to go down. You know, I literally I'm just telling went how it's supposed to go down. <laughs> this Gosh, is not how honestly. it's supposed to go down, you know. So it's just really, really funny to hear, you know, how you were rushed into um, theater. And thankfully your CS went successful. Yeah, and it's a mix of different things, right? Like it's not just, you're not just so you're shouting all these things. You're also super anxious. And yeah. you're also just 
disappointed because this was not your plan and you're angry that this is happening and, yeah. and you're scared because not everyone makes it out of like a theater, for example. So it's, it's so many emotions Things that are happening at, at the same, same time. time. And it just crystallizes into this panic that is just, I, I think even just the panic alone can actually just make your heart stop because like I was shaking so much because I was so scared. I've never had to even like be in hospital, be in hospital. So for all of this to be happening at once, it was just, it was really it was too a lot. Much. It was a lot. I mean, I have to say, shout out to your husband because he did kind of, in his Google searches in the beginning, he did mention, you said he mentioned he did. and you were like, no, we can't he go did. from zero to hundred. So we might like... get that Google medical degree because he definitely earned it. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I, I think one of my big lessons from here, I have like, from that time, honestly, there's almost nothing that he tells me. He, he would disagree with this, but then everything tells me I should take you a lot more seriously now because I'm just like, yeah, because there's so many things he said to me with regards to pregnancy. Like, you know, you were certain if you have these types of problems, there's small problems, or this week is this tiny thing that's nothing. Why, why is there plus one protein in your urine suddenly? Next week is this tiny thing. He's just like, I don't know if I really want to do this with the Nigerian doctor let's just travel like I already had a travel date but then I figured I've had such a good pregnancy like of course I'll leave at 32 weeks what, what am I leaving earlier for like if you leave earlier it's like if you have like a lot of stress so but he's like no these types of small things like they can be indicative of something else let's not wait till something else happens and man when everything happened there he never said I told you so but gosh I was just like why why did I not listen to this man <laughs> So post your CS, how did you take care of yourself with your blood pressure, all the symptoms of preeclampsia? And also, what did you do about work? Obviously, you had a plan to travel at 32 weeks and then, you know, your plan just scattered. So, you know, how did you have that conversation with work? Like, okay, I've had the baby now. I'm obviously not coming in um, so, so first of all, because of the way that I'd gone, so let me answer the second one first, right? And okay. um, before, because of the way that I'd gone um, <laughs> to the hospital, first of all, the hospital I used to go to was my, the company I worked for was the company's okay. hospital. So the company, the, the hospital is in the same premises as the office. Okay. Um, so normally for antenatal, I would just sort of register in the morning when I come go and do my meetings, do my work. And then by afternoon, when most women have finished, then I would just come and do my antenatal and go home. So that's what I did. If I was the last person to do antenatal on that day. Um, and so I left all my stuff in my office, like with the plan that I would just finish my antenatal quickly, because of course, how can there be a problem? And then just go pick up my laptop, put my bag and then drive away, take me home. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, I get, I get there for antenatal, after we do the checks, I'm basically admitted to the ICU. So, um, so I'm basically admitted to the ICU straight from from there. So my laptop was still on. Everything my everything was still on my desk. <laughs> Nothing had happened. And to be honest, I didn't even have the presence of mind because of what was happening that evening to even ask anyone to put anything, pack anything away for me. And my husband doesn't work in the same office so he doesn't have like access cards to go in or anything mm-hmm. so and in fact I don't think he didn't have the, none of us even thought of the computer or thought of work or anything on that day I think it was maybe like about two or three days when it really started, started to crystallize for me that this I, I this hell is really happening to me in real life like that I now finally started taking stock to say okay oh yeah my laptop is still there my wallet is on my desk all of those things I asked a friend to help me um but then it was actually really weird with work because um, 
you know, I was, I was in hospital for about a week and then I had Kaito. Um, in that week I was in hospital. I didn't really tell, you know, my, my direct line manager, of course, he hadn't seen me for like a day. And mm-hmm. so he then called and he then came to the hospital. He called me. I said, oh, I was in hospital. And I, I didn't expect him because he's a much older guy and he knew I was pregnant. So you know how like older Nigerians, if it's pregnancy, maybe like as a guy, he may just think, oh, let me, like, okay, no problem. When you're fine, call me. He actually arrived in the hospital, not just in the hospital. He actually arrived in like the maternity ward, like in the, wow. <laughs> the ICU ward in this hour. And I just heard a voice outside. It was him. And he was like, look, I was actually worried. Like, are you okay? And everything. So, um, so he helped to kind of cover for me for the initial time. But while I was actually in hospital, I got transferred to a brand new team because um, there's some, some kind of reorganization and all of those things. So I got transferred to a new team. Um, in fact, by the time I came out of hospital, the, the three months Kaito and I were in hospital, by the time I came out, my, my maternity leave had already finished because at that time, my maternity leave was only three months. Wow. Um, and yeah, so when you're really trying to then negotiate for additional time, <laughs> this was pre-COVID, um, so negotiate for flexi working hours, yeah. trying to explain that, you know, this is what has happened. My child is four months, but technically when I adjust his age, he's really only like one month, month old. this time. He's literally just out of the incubator. I can't really resume like that. That was very, was very difficult. Um, my, my most senior leadership was very supportive, but sometimes like, you know, direct reports, especially if it's, if it's a new team, it's a yeah. bit hard to then kind of convince someone to give you that level of flexibility and trust when you haven't really worked with them. And so there are all of those types of, of, of challenges. And, but then what really helped is I had, I have a really good um, support system. So my sister-in-law was, was in the house a lot with the baby when I was off, my mother-in-law, my mom. Um, so that was very helpful. So physically, um, it's funny because I, I don't know if it was because of preeclampsia. I mean, when I have another baby, I guess I'll test this. Or maybe you can actually tell me if it was the same with you. But as soon as the baby went um, left my system, in fact, you could see um, in the theater, my blood pressure actually dropped immediately. Oh, wow. So um, there was that. But then I also, it almost like immediately, not almost immediately, I immediately felt like myself, which is actually funny because for mm-hmm. several months when you're pregnant, obviously you're yourself, but then I don't know. I just didn't realize that I wasn't even feeling like myself until the baby left me. And then I was like, oh, welcome back. Like, this is me. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's funny because I literally have open sprawled on a surgeon's table, like <laughs> congratulating myself. Anyway, so I just, it's very interesting, I think, with pregnancy. But then, um, we, I think after we pregnant, we then had a bit of a challenge because they have to wait for a couple of months, a couple of weeks to see whether, you know, the person will now really be hypertensive going forward, or it was really just preeclampsia that it was just high blood pressure that was caused by the preeclampsia. So, um, when the pregnancy hormones go, do your, does your blood pressure kind of go back to normal and all mm-hmm. of that? And I was very lucky, my blood pressure actually went back to normal. In fact, I found out after because I never really, really took my health I mean I didn't really have any reason to take my health so seriously that's a very bad way to put it but yeah I, I never really been sick like that I'm asthmatic but then I've never like had like chronic asthma or um like had anything that really really made me very sick so I guess I was a bit lax in how I dealt with my health um and so 
yeah, so I didn't, I didn't really check my blood pressure. But after preclams, then we got a blood pressure machine at home, and I started checking my blood pressure like more consistently. And I realized actually my normal blood pressure even tends to be low. So when throughout the time when I thought, oh, but my blood pressure was good throughout pregnancy, then how did it suddenly go up? It was that for the first six months of pregnancy, my blood pressure was actually high for me. But then for the oh, normal no. reading, it was normal. Yeah, so normally it's like 100 or less than, like it's, it's, it's low, not too low, but it's low. And then when I was pregnant, it was constantly like the perfect thing, like 120 over, like the right thing. But then I realized now that, oh, it probably actually was just because the pregnancy was already making it get higher than usual but because i wasn't wow. i didn't i wasn't paying attention to my health before i didn't realize so i think one of the things that i, I mean like so having the machine for example being a, a bit more deliberate about things like that and um, just being more conscious of my body realizing okay i'm an adult i actually have to to not just take my health for granted and also you're getting older every year so you have to be more conscious um but I think a big part of in terms of taking care of your of yourself for me was like my mental health because yeah. it was I mean I'd just gone through a really traumatic event. It was a really big, big thing in my life because I mean for the three months we were back and forth with doctors on whether the child would survive or not. And waking up every day, like really waking up, I would wake up every every single day in a panic because my God, I fell asleep at one and I'm waking up at five. Did anything happen to him at night? God, how could I have been sleeping? What if something happened? Like you're waking up constantly like that. And that's reinforced by the fact that, of course, I was also in hospital for a while because the, the communist policies, first of all, I had, they wanted to check to make sure that, you know, the preeclampsia doesn't have any longer effects. And I still yeah. was on high blood pressure medication and all those things. So I was already in hospital, first of all, for about two months. Kaito was in hospital for three. Um, but then I, I was also very anxious because every moment, you know, the doctors also don't want to give you a false sense of hope. So they're constantly telling you like very, you know, pessimistic news, like, you know, be, you, we can't, we're not out of the woods yet. You can't be happy if he did this year, but then he's not doing this or yeah. he's going to have a problem or this one is going to happen. So you are constantly in just, it's a constant mental battle to just pull yourself out of there so for me like it was a lot of mental stress just personally personally as a person and the mental stress to try to be strong for the child as well because the child also needs you the child also needs your presence needs you to talk to them needs you to to have like you know just good vibes every time you go yeah. to i felt i didn't want to go with like this sadness and crying inside um but then also just remembering i was also very newly married i'd only been married for eight months when kaito came um so that you're also trying to know of course both of you and your husband, you've never thought of something like this happening to you guys before. So trying to navigate how is the first time you're really seeing, at least for us, you're really, really seeing how you both navigate like loss. And it's not new. Of course, we thankfully we didn't lose the child, thank God. But then there's the loss of what we had dreamt about, it's loss of how yeah. we thought we'd have our first child. Yeah. It's the potential loss of this our first child. So it's just so many really big things at the start of your marriage, and that if you're not careful then you really then create these types of cracks that you spend the rest of your marriage sort of trying to heal. So you yeah. have all of these things you're trying to figure out. Um, so mentally, mentally is hard, but then I wrote, I journaled a lot. I prayed a lot. Um, 
I don't know, uh, time, time, I think probably just healed a lot of things as well. Try to be fair to myself, try to give my husband the benefit of doubt. <laughs> there was a lot of, why aren't you here now? Well, the visiting hour started 10 minutes ago. Why do you know what we're living through? And it also, you have to remember the other person is also trying to process something that is so huge for them. Like for him, he's almost, he doesn't know what's happening. Like my husband used to be so scared. Like if he's, if he calls my phone and I don't pick up my phone, obviously I'm in the hospital, the baby's in the hospital. And he calls and I don't pick up my phone. He will call everybody in the world. He will call the head of all the doctors. He will call, like, by the time, by the time let's say I go to the bathroom and I left my phone, by the time I come out, there will be, like, a search party for me. There will be, you know, like, <laughs> 10 people say, where are you? Your husband is panicked. Like, I'm just like, oh, my God. But then, <laughs> but everyone feels the anxiety. It's, it's a real, like, it's hell, honestly. It's, it's really, really an anxious moment for everyone. That can really fracture a relationship in the long term. Just even thinking about it now, sometimes you can really even threaten to overwhelm me, even if it's been like four years. Exactly. More, more than four years. It's, it's still, gosh, I, I wonder if there'll ever be a time where it doesn't actually feel as um, just as real and as present. And as, as one thing I was going to say was that um, to a big part of the mental health thing, for me, you know, I was in a maternity ward for, like I said, for like two months. Um, not the normal practice is that when people, when women have a child in the ICU or in the NICU, because they're breastfeeding, they don't let the women go home. So even if, even if it wasn't preeclampsed at where they were keeping me under observation, even if the woman was fine and the baby was just preterm, you weren't allowed to go home because they didn't want to ever have to look for breast milk for a preterm and then you're running up and down wow. to find something on the- from here, right? So I guess on one hand, we were super lucky to have that, like, you know, that we're present. But on the other hand, I really realized, like, so I was then in this, in this ward waiting for my baby and I was surrounded by women, you know, every woman giving birth at every moment. It felt like perfect, healthy babies. And like, you know, in, I think we had like two sets of twins at some point or something oh, wow. like that. They were always like, you know, and they're here and at night, you know, they're breastfeeding, their babies are crying in the bed next to you, the bed opposite you, the bed adjacent. They, their babies are everywhere. There are women cuddling their kids. They're, and I'm like, you know, who thought this was a good idea? I'm sorry. Like you are literally, every moment, I'm seeing this woman, every moment you are telling me that I shouldn't expect my child to survive. So I remember even one time a friend of mine had traveled and she bought me some baby clothes and I just put them on the bed. Like she had, you know, put them out on the bed and she was showing me, oh, this one is so cute, this one is so cute. I remember a nurse coming and maybe I'd walked out to the door to see her off or something. And then I remember a nurse coming to, um, going past my bed and she was like oh why do you have these clothes here your baby is not going to wear them um and you wow. know i guess maybe what she meant was like oh it will probably be a really long time for a very so wearing clothes yeah. yeah but then for me it just felt like oh she's just basically told my baby is not going to ever basically live to this point of wearing clothes like what kind of thing is this and i'm already like halfway to cry like everything was just a trigger and then but you're surrounded by women that just can't so even when you even cry Oh, you're just crying silently in your bed. So no one, you don't disturb anyone. No one even says, you hear someone, what are you crying for now? This is somebody that's holding their two twins and their twins in their two hands. Oh, oh what are you crying for now? Ah, that some people even don't have children and you're crying. Your baby's in the NICU. And you, you're trying to actually, you're asking yourself like, should I even engage? Should I really explain to this person like what the situation is? Man, after like two months, I was like, look, I'm actually going home. I'm going yeah. home. This is not... 
I don't care if it's not what you guys do, it's against your call. And they had never had that before. Like in all the years and years the hospital had been run, no woman had ever said, you know what, I am not staying here. And it's not because I was the first person to feel like that. Because I'm like, what I feel is actually totally normal. How, how is anybody going to, I can't stay like this. I'm sorry. Like I literally cannot stay like this. I'm in a panic constant. And time. you guys, like, you, everyone has all these kids here. Like it's not, I can't even sleep at night because their babies are crying. So even the few hours, I'm like, no, this is, this is horrible to me. This is, I'm actually living my nightmare right now. And they're like, ah, how will you go home? If you go, so you're going to go home without a baby. They're going to leave. But at the point where I decided to go home, right? The baby had, we had passed like for us, it was the critical stage. So at this point, the hospital also had a policy that they don't release babies before two kilograms. Yeah. Um, but he was perfectly healthy. So we had done so many tests that realized that, okay, he's actually, he just needs to grow big enough at this yeah. point. So they are weighing him every morning and stuff like that. But then we didn't have any complications. We actually found that was actually perfect. He was just, he was a perfectly healthy child. Even at that point, even with everything, he was just small. So yeah. we just had to be patient and wait for him to grow. But of course, he's growing in like micrograms or something. Mm-hmm. So every day is adding like 0.11 or 0.001 or something. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm waiting at this point. I live really close to the hospital as well. So I guess that's also why I was quite, quite happy to go home. Oh. But then I didn't, didn't want to meet anyone. I just wanted to stay at home with my husband and just be out of that space. Like be able to think and just breathe. And I, you know, I mean, it was, it's funny, sorry, I'm really going on about this, but then it's funny because almost as soon as you become a mom, everyone tells you to like, you know, just subjugate your own, your own desires, your own things for this your child. Own and I get that. Yeah, exactly. I get that. Oh, how can you go away? What if we need you at this time? I'm like, I will always come. If you need me, I mean, I'll come. But then it's also important for me to be mentally balanced. Like what yeah. I'm doing is actually driving me insane. I'm actually in a state of panic and depression constantly. So how is nobody thinking about what I also need? And for me, that was a very important and very early lesson. I can't put on the mask of someone else for a sinking plane if, or a crashing plane if I can't breathe myself. And I really could not breathe. Um, and yeah, they didn't get that. It was really, a lot of nurses didn't get that. It was a pediatrician that was like, you know what, you don't have to be here. That's the truth. You really don't. And I don't think that this is even good for you because at some point my breast milk had almost even dried up or something because I was so anxious. I was so stressed. And under so much stress. I was was really, yeah, yeah, I was under too much stress. So I was just like, man, I am going home. Like, (laughs) I'm going home, really. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that's something that, I don't know, I guess I, I was judged quite harshly for that. But then it's one of the things that, Honestly, I don't regret it even a little bit, to be honest with you. You know, parenting requires you to be in the right frame of mind. Most especially, you know, parenting when your child is sick and in hospital. Like, if you're not Mm -hmm. in an environment that supports you, by all means, you know, whatever the naysayers may say and the judgmental nurses, you know, at the end of the day, you're the one that has to be in tip-top shape for your child, not the nurse. Like, the nurse is going to clock out and go home, so... You know, yeah, exactly. Taking, exactly. taking care of your mental health cannot be overemphasized, really. And I as well wish I did a lot more because, like I said, you know, it's not like there's much you can do aside breast. You know, if if the breast milk is flowing for you, you know, and you can provide the milk for the child to eat, that's literally almost all you can do. You know, and obviously if they let you change, yeah. You know, so take you know, there's actually so much. No, we're not even allowed to touch the baby at all. Exactly. You know, like we weren't able to touch him. I think 
I think it was like the second week or third week when they were like, okay, you can touch him. But it was like, they gave us literally seven minutes. All the nurses and doctors are like surrounding us, you know, what should have just been like an intimate private family moment mm-hmm. you know the doctor is just like okay uh, do you want to hold him for the whole seven minutes okay we've got to put him back now you know, <laughs> yes so, I would like to <laughs> you know so thinking about it now I'm like aside all the medical information people throw at you you know when your child is that you know critically ill or should I say critically on admission you know it's taking mm-hmm. care of your ment- your mental health like there should be so much more out there for parents to support their mental health and get them ready for honestly, you know, honestly, you know all that can happen. You kind of hit the nail on my on my next question, which is about the medical staff, the nurses, the doctors. You're a pediatrician in the NICU, and is there anyone that you remember for sort of going above and beyond, just making sure that you and your family were taken care of and really understood what was going on with your child? Yeah, no, that that's a really nice question, and I'm happy that you asked it. So for us. The nurses are wonderful. Actually, when we when we left, I, I remember we we're still we we're still in hospital. Kaito, we hadn't even gone past like the very default. You know, they tell you like the first seven days mm-hmm. if the child makes it past that, and then after that, you know, you have to just kind of see because after, even after so our whole focus on the first seven days, and then we passed his first seven days and he survived. And everyone was like, ah, no, now is now when you wait for infections and stuff, and that's why we couldn't. They never let let us even touch him or do like, you know, the kangaroo style or even touch him at all because also it was Nigeria and the pediatrician was super careful. She's like, yes, I know that you can. I remember actually even showing her like, oh, but this is what other people are doing. And she's like, man, I don't want to risk anything at all. Like wow. this is already Nigeria. There are infections everywhere. I'm not going to, I'm sorry, you have him all of your lives to hold. So wow. let's just try and get past this. So we never actually... I think one time we held his hand when he was almost three months. We held his finger through the hole in the NICU. Wow. I held like the last finger through the hole in the NICU. So, yeah, so that was literally it. Um, but the nurses were really, really exceptional. So I remember I was still in hospital. I just kept thinking, like, what can I do for these people? Like, you know, usually when you're leaving, like, there's usually, it's Nigeria now, there's always a celebration. Mm-hmm. So you normally like bring food and drinks for the nurses and stuff. I was like, man, I don't want to just do that. I don't want to just do that. I'll give them a card. So CJ and I, we started something called the Kaito Fund. Um, and every year we put in an amount, a, a lump sum that we give to one nurse. The hospital, uh, they decide um, the nurse with the best, with the child with the best performing result that's going to university that year. Oh. So it's like a scholarship, which we... We hope we'll be able to always do and then Kaito can grow up and actually see something that's in his name and just follow up. Because I'm really big on like, you know, how we can really, especially for kids, really understand the concept of giving back and the idea that it's all a circle of life, but then we're all sort of connected in this responsibility to take care of each other. Um, And they took such good care of me that I really thought, man, I really hope someone is looking out for your kids in the same way. Obviously, you can't do it for everyone's kids, but then at least one somebody's child shouldn't have to think too much about money to get into school that year and just give you a bit of a break. So we started that. We started that just really to say thank you. Like the pediatrician was fantastic. Like I think she literally went over and above. And I just the nurse, everyone, we most of them, not most everyone, most of them were very, very good because in the mornings you would hear their changeover. Um, discussions and the first thing almost anybody would say when they come in is you know how is baby 
how is baby Chidoki? Um, and that's the first question. What they won't take off like their clothes to change their scrubs. And then you could get a little bit of an understanding of exactly how he's really doing. And every time they had these morning prayers, of course, because again, Nigeria, and the morning prayers, they would always lift him up, which I thought was also very kind. So very sweet. But um there were two um, two instances that I just want to just recall. One was a very good and one was quite bad. So the okay. nurse that, I was quite lucky that the nurse that had watched, that when I was first, first admitted into the ICU before mm-hmm. Kaito had come out, the same, she's, she's an ICU nurse, but she's a pediatric ICU nurse. And um, I think maybe she was filling in for somebody. So that's why she was in the ICU at the time that I was there. So she continued to look out for me. Um, so even when I got to the maternity ward, away for like the day before I had Kaito or something, or two days or something, and I got to maternity ward, she would still come in to check how I was doing and stuff. And I remember the day that they were wheeling me to the theater to Kaito. She kept, she came to my side, like she wasn't supposed to be there. She was like, call your mother-in-law now. Like, don't just try and push this and call your mother-in-law. Let make sure that there's somebody here to talk to the doctor. Because my mother-in-law is a surgeon and my mother-in-law is fantastic. And she was very, very present and stuff. So this lady was like monitoring the whole time, but then she had to go and leave. And and when Kaito was born, like when he was literally brought out, she was the nurse that was in the labor room. And she was the nurse that pushed his, um, the, um, mobile incubator like ran literally ran with it like into the NICU and stuff um but then I think after like the first or second day she had to go and leave and so she didn't come back until two weeks time and you could tell that she when she came back she was full of so much trepidation for you know did he make it had mm-hmm. he survived what mm-hmm. had happened because I don't know how come she went off the radar like maybe some she had some her own family issues or something mm-hmm. to deal with but I remember that she came into the ICU and I was there and she looked at Kaito and he, of course, when he came out, he was very, he was pale, but I guess for them, he must have, mm-hmm. might have looked a bit pale. But mm-hmm. then now in two weeks, he had really started, like he had gotten his color. Yeah. He was starting to look like a bit healthier. And I remember a comment, she, she, she turned to me and she was like, hey, now, now we come. And I just, <laughs> I love that so much because I was like, it encouraged me so, so much because she was like, you know, now, now let us, now this, the journey has really started, you know, and it was just like, you know, now we have a fighting chance to really work something. And that really, really made me feel so happy. So, I, so there, there's so many memorable stories that are so many nurses that like held my hand and told me like, don't give up, like, don't give up, don't turn around, don't, don't go to your bed. Instead of sitting there crying, come here and talk to your child. Keep talking mm-hmm. to your child. Let him hear your voice. Let him think he's still in your room. Like mm-hmm. So many of them, and I became really good friends with them. But then there's one bad experience that I actually had, and it didn't go away from me. And it's something that I'm, I'm only saying because I think people that are nurses really have to be very, very conscious of just yeah. how much power they hold. There was a night where, um, this is about, it was already about midnight or something. So most people had already gone to bed, but the NICU is connected to the maternity ward. So I can see whoever is going into the NICU. And maybe about 12 o'clock, I see um, the pediatrician, she's rushing from her house. So somehow they'd called her and she's rushing from her house. She still has her hairnet on and everything. She's wearing her pajamas, essentially. She runs into the NICU. Um, and of course, my child is the only child in the NICU. So I'm in full panic mode, like, what could have happened? There's so much like just movement around, like, and all that. All the other moms with their children sleeping quietly by their side. Though. There's just me here, like literally in a state of panic, like what's going on? And there's a nurse doing rounds, like going, making sure everyone's sleeping, everyone has all their medicines and you know, everything's okay. And I say, please, so excuse me, why do they call the doctor? Like, is everything okay with the baby in the NICU? 
And she said something to me, she, not something to me. She said, basically said to me, well, as in why you, what, what is, what, why are you disturbing yourself? Like you better lie down and sleep or didn't this, didn't you, don't you have high blood pressure? You want to, you will now, you want to now kill yourself. Lie down and sleep. Didn't they tell you oh that my God. children, preterm, hold on, no. didn't they tell you that preterm children only have 50% chance of survival? And so why, why are you disturbing yourself? Like I was so scared because at that moment I was like, does she know something that I don't know? Has something, has something happened to Kaito and I don't actually know? Like, why would she say that? Why is she saying that? But because I wanted to really find out. All the other nurses had run into the ICU, into the NICU. So she was the only one that was there. So because I really still wanted to find out, I couldn't even like react the way that I wanted to react. I had to then sort of start apologizing, telling her. Wow. And because I didn't want to obviously like, yeah, I didn't want to distract them. What if they, you know, they have to perform some kind of surgery or something. Let me just not distract anybody by being like the hysterical mom that comes in and is screaming or something or asking people when they're trying to get transfusion, whatever. I just said, let me just leave it. And then I waited and waited. They were there for quite a while, maybe like an hour or two. And then when pediatrician comes out, I go to her and of course she's, she's like, oh, you're still awake. I'm like, oh, how would I have slept, please? And turned out that it was actually the respiratory machine that had some, somehow um, developed a fault. So or somebody set it wrongly or something. Maybe one of the nurses didn't put the right thing. So it had developed some kind of fault. And so at that time, Kaita was still on the respirator. Um, but then turned out that actually he had, he had developed a fault, but he had started breathing on his own. So thankfully, he was actually able to breathe even with the fault, because I, I don't think they noticed it initially. Um, so that was sort of the panic, trying to sort it out, trying to say, okay, how come it wasn't noticed? Like, because if, you know, those types of things. And this woman actually knew. She knew that there was nothing wrong. She knew there was no surgery. I just thought it was such an unkind thing to do. And there's absolutely no reason for it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's something I actually wrote in my, like, leaving report because not every person will be able to take that. Like, some people can actually, your blood pressure is already high. You can literally just pass out, like. You know, so I think they have to be a lot kinder sometimes. A lot of it is actually just human kindness. And I, yeah. I see when people have a little bit of power over someone else, or they, it's an illusion of power, because obviously you don't have power over anybody, but then it's the illusion of power. So here's this helpless mom, doesn't know much, she's relying on you. And then suddenly you actually feel so much bigger, so much more important, and you don't even take it as, you know, as an importance that is drawn out of. Yes, exactly, a responsibility to do something a certain way you then use it as just like ego egocentric power um and you know oh no this is who i am and i can talk to you anyhow it's just wild so some of it is education but i think also people's yeah just kindness it just goes such a long way i've laughed so much and i've reflected so much <laughs> on so many things that have happened did you actually know anyone else who had been through a similar situation like had a preterm baby had preeclampsia you know or had a child you know in the hospital when they were born you know what's so weird I actually did not and that was such a big part of the problem because first of all I didn't know anyone personally that it happened to and mm -hmm. um, secondly I also didn't know how to even tell people that I'd given birth because okay, I've given birth, but then basically what I'm told is that the baby's not going to make it. So I don't know if I want to start talking to anyone. To Anybody about okay, it. Yeah, and then maybe after a while, I now have another text message, God forbid that I'm sending. Or do I, I, do, I didn't even have the presence of mind to actually begin to even talk to a lot of people because I was just, I was in this like private hell 
that was trying to just live through first of all. So maybe if I talk to more people, then someone would have told me, okay, this is okay. Um, there were one or two women in the world who were very like, oh, this happened to my friend, but all their friends, it always happened to their friends abroad. Oh, yes, yeah, she was a fact, she was 10 weeks old. The baby survived. The baby is a genius in Harvard now. If I say, I'm like, yeah, but at least moment that it happened to in Nigeria, because that's my situation. And I went on Instagram and all the people I found were American babies or British babies or babies that were shared not in Nigeria. And that was very frustrating to me because then I started thinking that, okay, yeah, in, I just feel like abroad, the survival rate is probably better because they have better equipment. Here, this is it's a good stock hospital, but do they have everything that they should ideally have? No, right? So I'm like, you know, what I actually need is someone who has survived here. And I remember my mom telling me about one of her, someone else that she knew that the baby came to a government hospital, that they have a way of doing these things. And then, but the thing she was telling me about, oh, like they use like manual, this and man, I'm like, first of all, I don't, that sounds very traumatic. I don't see how the baby would have survived. But then <laughs> apparently the baby did, right? So, but I'm just like, okay, I don't, it was just two extremes. Either I'm hearing stories in America where they have all this equipment. I'm hearing stories that they've wrapped the baby inside 500 wrappers and the woman put the baby to her chest. First of all, they're not letting me put the baby to my chest. So that's already out of the window. So I just didn't have anybody that fit my own parameters that yeah. I could then use like as a judge to say, okay, if this person, if this happened to this person, then yeah, then I should be okay because it's kind of a similar situation. That's why I'm really passionate about talking because I feel like I don't want anybody to ever feel the same way. So I really don't want anybody to ever feel as lonely as as frightened you know if my and you know what's so excellent like a couple of months ago maybe two three months ago i went to the same hospital mm -hmm. um, and i saw the pediatrician and she was saying oh we actually had a 27 weeker and the mom it was a similar situation the mom was so panicked and she kept crying and i told her that you know what, you should talk to wendy because look at her son like she showed pictures of kaito look at her baby now he's totally fine you know yes kaito was 29 weeks but it's not it's also like how the her own baby's weight was actually bigger than Kaito's weight at wow. 29 weeks so, so she's like oh you are in very good company like don't worry about it like it's obviously not promising everything because you can't guarantee but then you don't need to be this panic we're going to do our best and we've done it before and stuff and that just gladdened my heart because that's exactly what you want you want other moms to feel confident that you know, it can happen for me as well. For me as well. Everyone would be like, ah, but you know, you're in the UK, like you had everything. And I'm like, no, I really didn't mm. have any everything because there was nobody that looked like me. So one of the things mm. that I grieved or I missed is like, you know, when you were talking about how the nurses would tell you like, ah, don't worry, it'll be fine. Or like they pray in the morning, like nobody's praying for you in the morning in the UK. You know, mm. they're just like, okay, this is your report. This is what he did overnight. Uh, see you mm. later you know and then I miss things like okay you know yes, the, the naming yes. ceremony but it's like where are you having the naming ceremony you know and I couldn't explain <laughs> to anybody why I was so sad mm. one week later mm. because mm. I was like mm. we're supposed to be having a naming ceremony yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and then even though I mean there's, I mean, there was a lot of a lot of support. You know, I will I will always be grateful for that. Lots of charities, lots of parents groups on Facebook that you know I'm still active in till today. But nobody then looked like me. Nobody else had a child, you know, with a name like mm. me. You know, it was like I was one mm. in a hundred. So I yeah. always really, you know, try to be like, okay, like where are the black babies? You know, where are the Nigerian baby? I totally feel you about seeing and hearing stories. It's like, yeah, Sarah and no 
walking survive. That's wonderful and amazing. But I really want to know what happened in, in Bauchi. I really want to know what happened in Enugu. Like, how did they do this thing? You know, your advice to a parent who is, you know, at the beginning of that journey. I mean, we're like four years past, you know, the horror of mm. 2017. And really in that moment, you you can't even, I don't think I could think further than a week ahead. Or like, I don't think I, I really imagine that there will be a time where like, you know, okay, my kid will just be playing, he'll just be going to school. So what would you really say to a parent, you know, if they listen to this and their child has just been admitted, their child has just been born to, you know, encourage them and advice on how to take care of themselves and their family? Gosh, now that's a very big question. I think everyone will, will deal with it differently. But then what I would say, I, all your feelings are valid. Everything that you feel is valid. You don't have to... Um, you don't feel bad or feel any kind of way for feeling whatever you feel. It's, it's a very stressful and difficult and anxiety-inducing thing for anyone to go through. So your feelings are valid. Um, I would also say, like, even if you're just a new mom, and this is, of course, for every new child, you're a new mom for that child, or you're a new parent for that child because it's both of you, you are actually the child's best advocate. And I was thankful that somebody said that to me, one of the nurses said that to me, like, on the first day. Um, that kite uh, the day after I gave birth to him, and because I really felt like so useless, it's easy to feel really useless. There are all these uh, machines and all these people that know so much stuff. Read up your own stuff. If they tell you the child has NEC or something, read up on it. Don't let them just oh, it has child has that we're doing this. Yes, that's fine. They're the, they're, they're the ones that have all the wisdom. They've gone to school for this, but then. Don't let them just operate on your child blindly. Like, and that's one way that you can actually empower yourself or feel empowered and feel like you're actually doing something because this is your child, no matter what situation it is, this is your child. And your child can speak up and say, oh, this thing really hurts or this thing, my body doesn't actually need this um, chemical you're pumping into me or this or that. You're the only one that can do that. So don't, yes, it's very easy to, to cry and you know, fall into uh, this whole this, this hole of anxiety, right? But then you can be useful. You can be present. Like even with everything that's happening, you still have work parents. This is still out. And the child is here. That's a very big step in, in the right direction. Educate yourself on everything, on the kind of learnings, the kind of things that they are likely to do so that, so that by the time they're doing things, you can also contribute and you can say, oh, what, what's this one for? Ask lots of questions. doesn't matter how stupid. That's why you're, someone is paying these doctors for this. Ask questions. You don't have to be aggressive, of course, but then ask when they want to do stuff. Let them explain to you the processes and why they're doing this thing, why they think it's necessary. You don't need to like, disagree with something if you don't think that they're necessary, if you think that they're necessary, but then just be informed, know what is happening in your child day to day, because that way you're even sitting with the, with the child a lot longer than any doctor. The doctors are going and coming. So you you can actually be the one to present things to say, actually, I noticed that his feet are a little bit whiter than they were yesterday. Is there a problem? Or is there some, something that somebody should have picked, picked up on? No one has mentioned that to me. And it might be that, oh, the nurse actually um, put in his file. She doesn't share that with you. We're working on it. We're thinking about this. We're monitoring the situation. But you should be like the first person to pick up on as much as you can 
Um, some people might say, oh, well, I'm already trying to get my head around it. It's a big responsibility. But that, that's, that's parenting. You've already started from the moment you bring them. You've already started your work. And it's, it's a great job to have because you're all they have. So I think that's really important. Another thing I would say is, you know, the journey has an end. I used to always tell my husband, tomorrow will still come because he was in such a panicked such a difficult state like of anxiety he's already naturally a bit anxious so this type of thing was he just spiraled out of control he was really really worried really really sad and everything and I used to tell him every time tomorrow will still come by this time next year we would actually be in, in a different I will not still be in this hospital this child will not still be in this hospital whatever the case shall that tomorrow not because of what we have what is happening to us here now the sun will not rise tomorrow tomorrow will still come we will still have another day do you know what I mean so even if, whether you have a partner or you don't have a partner this is not forever this this horrible situation you're in it's going to pass it's not always going to be like this so just encourage yourself with that this is going to come to pass um and and yeah and I think just really try and take care of yourself <laughs> I, for some reason I had my laptop with me and what the only thing I had on my laptop was and I don't even know why I had that was the game the tv show the game but mm -hmm. I had like all eight seasons or something mm -hmm. and it really helped me I think I've probably watched it before but I for some reason I just started it again and just you should have something that allows you to breathe for a moment allows you to forget for a moment something that's easy um so between times, just if you can take your, your, your mind off of that, but prioritize yourself just because you're, you're a mom or you're a dad doesn't mean that your entire life, you're still a person first. So prioritize yourself. Um, I think that's also very important. Awesome. I mean, fantastic answers, Wendy. Thank you so, 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 so much. I mean... You've just listened to My Neonatal Story, an early birth foundation podcast. Please follow our Instagram page for free resources and subscribe to our show on iTunes and Google Play to make sure you don't miss the next episode. Thanks for tuning in today.